And as you are, open your Bibles once again to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, if you will. Now, we're in our last week of our series of marriage, and uh, we have learned a great deal from the Word of God about this subject of marriage, about this institution. And one of the primary things that we should have learned so far is the primary purpose of marriage. That marriage is not primarily about being happy or being in love, but rather the primary purpose of marriage given to us by God, as God has created, is for a husband and wife to picture and to demonstrate the unbreakable um, relationship between Christ and his church. To, it's not so much about happiness as it is covenant keeping between the two, the husband and the wife. And we've said that this is necessary because there's a huge problem facing every marriage couple, married couple. No, it's not your spouse. It is sin. Sin is what causes the problem within marriage. When you got married, I hate to break this to you, but you were a sinner. And you married a sinner. On your marriage day, it was two sinners saying, I do, all right? And that caused all kinds of problems. So what we've seen so far, according to the scriptures, is that if this relationship has any chance of lasting, if this chance has any chance of, of really flourishing, then what must happen is we must stop demanding perfection from our spouse, and we must begin to dispense grace to our spouse. And so last week, we took a look on what that looks like. And we saw some principles, two principles that had to be implemented within our marriages in order to dispense grace. And we, saw, we said that the first principle was this, is that we had to learn to forbear with one another, right? We had to bear each other's sins and each other's strangeness. And as we said, sometimes we don't know the difference between the two. That we're not going to be like Christ, fully like Christ, until the day that we die. So until the day we die, as long as we are married, we must learn to forbear with each other. But we also have to forgive. And we saw that the reason that we have to forgive is because we were first forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And no matter what somebody else has done against us, it pales in comparison to the astounding debt that you and I have had that has been canceled by Jesus Christ through his suffering upon the cross. And so in light of that great forgiveness, it becomes more natural for us, even though it's painful, it becomes more natural for us to forgive one another. Now, I want to tell you this because this is really where my heart is. I hope and pray that my marriage will become more than just forbearing and forgiving, right? If you come up to me and say, Brother Mike, how's the marriage going? Been married for 12 years, how's this going? Well, you know, we're forbearing and forgiving, you know. I don't know about you, but that's not just the, the simple goal of my life. I, I want it to be more than that, right? Now, the truth is, let's be honest, the truth is some of us are in that state. Some are in the state of forgiving and forbearing. But here's the key. We want it to go beyond that. Now, that doesn't mean that there will ever be a time that you don't have to forbear or to forgive. But what it means is, is that there can come a time where it is less necessary. And the only way for that to happen is not for each other to keep forgiveness and forbearing from each other, but is for each of us to be changed in the likeness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. If we become more like Christ, if I become more like Christ, and my wife becomes more like Christ, then there's not nearly the need to forbear and forgive as much, even though that will always be required to some point in the marriage. And so here's the interesting thing. I'm going to say this statement to you, and some of you don't try not to get too excited. God wants to use you to change your spouse. Now, some of you all get excited about that, don't you? 
Because what you're thinking is, you said, man, I've been coming down to this church for four weeks, and I've been waiting for this. And I've had to sit through all that forgiving and forbearing, all to be able to get this, so you can show me how I can change my husband. That's what I've been trying to do. So finally, it's arrived. But here's what I want to warn you with. It is true that God wants to use you to change your spouse. But let me mention this. God's method of transforming your spouse is by having you faithfully practice your God-given role within the marriage. In other words, your mode for changing your husband and God's mode for changing your husband are radically different. Your mode of changing your wife and my mode for changing, and God's mode for changing my wife is completely two different things. My mode, if I may express it so bluntly, when I am not walking in the spirit but walking in the flesh, is to push my wife down to make myself look better, to shame her, to judge her, to criticize her, to point out her flaws, and to try to, try to strong-arm her to be what I believe that she should ultimately be. And how many of you know that just never really works? just never works. Because when you push, what happens? They push back. God does want to transform and use you to transform your spouse, but he has a completely different way. And let me read it again. God's method of transforming your spouse is by having you faithfully practice your God-given role within the marriage. When God first created marriage, he gave a specific role for the man, for the husband, and a specific role for the wife. And what God has done is he says, listen, you fulfill these roles. And what will ultimately happen is it will create an environment that is conducive for change. And God, God, as you are being changed, submitting to what God calls you to do, God will use that then to ultimately change your spouse. And so this morning, what we want to do, and I'll unpack that more. But what we want to do this morning is we want to take a look at these different roles. This morning, I want to take a look at the wife's role and the husband's role and see how God uses them to transform our spouse. So because ladies are first and because in the text of Scripture, ladies are first, ladies are first. Isn't that exciting? Now, that's a bad part because you have to go first. But the good thing is, is you get to see your husband get beat up afterwards. Isn't that nice? And so what we need to look at is what is the role for our wife? And the Bible says here, according to God's word, it's God's role for a wife is to submit, is to submit. Now look at verse 22. The Bible says, Wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now I know that even after reading that passage and making the statement that a wife's role is to submit that there are some wives that are furious in some men who feel fear, okay, uh, just by that. As a matter of fact, they know their wives so well that they've heard the word submit and they really feel like I need to get out of here, head for the exits before my wife nuclear explosion begins to fall out on the pastor, okay? I get that and I want you to understand that I am well aware that the S word um, is very volatile, uh, in our culture, in the concept and culture of 2010. But you know what's interesting to me? It's interesting to me that even though we, even as God's redeemed people, seem to have such a hard time with this word submit, that Paul, the Apostle Paul, seems to have absolutely no problem with it at all. He just throws it out there. As a matter of fact, he doesn't even try to be politically correct. He actually uses the S word three times, right? In three verses. He throws it out. He just basically says, women, wives, sorry, 
women, that would be bad. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then he goes on in verse 29. Now, as the church submits to the wife, so also wives submit, should submit to everything to their husbands. It, he doesn't make it better. He makes it worse in our culture. And so what's the problem here? Why do we have such a hard time with it? Well, in the words of the great prophetess in the former church in which I serve, the reason we have a problem is because Paul had the problem because he was a male chauvinist pig. No, nothing like sound theology to bless a pastor, right? He's a male chauvinist pig. That's his problem. That's, that's why that's in there. You know, that doesn't, that doesn't apply for today. But I would suggest that we have a different problem, and that is our problem is, is that we have a, 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 a submission is misunderstood in our culture and context today, 2010. I think when we hear that word submit, I think it's been so abused, and we've created these false identities and pictures. And some of us, we, we, we believe that it suggests slavery or subservience. Others believe that for, to call a wife to submit, it means that somehow she's inferior or an equal, unequal to her husband. Uh, at the same time, a, a call to submit is a call for a woman to be a doormat, to be walked over by her overbearing husband. When we hear that word, we, some believe that it's, it's, a, it's a call for a woman to remain silent, avoid opinion, or to not think at all for herself. But just let her husband just take care of everything. She's not even supposed to have a brain. That was just kind of, I don't know why she had one, but that, that's, that's the reason why she shouldn't. And so when people hear this word submit, they begin to think of all these, these very, very negative ideas. And, and it causes us to want to push away from this, dismiss it, and even find a way to explain the scripture away altogether. But what I would suggest to you, and I want to assure you this morning, is that when these words were being written, when God was placing and the Holy Spirit was moving and moving the Apostle Paul to write these particular words, neither God nor Paul had any of those pictures or any of those ideas in mind when he wrote this. None of them. Instead, what he was doing is this. Submission rather means to subject or, or, or subordinate oneself willingly to another or to relinquish one's rights to another. When the Bible uses the word, uh, when the S word, the submit word, it never uses it in a negative sense. It's always in a positive sense. And so what we find is it's, it's something that is done willingly and is not something that is forced. In other words, if you leave today, men, you miss the point if you leave and you say to your wife, submit, woman, bad, okay? Not good, it is not something you force upon your wife, but wives, it's something that you willfully take on. You willfully take on the position because it is the role that God had intended from the beginning of creation. Now, the term is best illustrated, I believe, in the life of Christ. And, you know, and ladies, I would say this to you this morning is, is it's not, if, if, if anything, I want to be like Christ. So if submitting is being wrong, then I don't want to be right. Woo! You know, you know what I'm talking about? I want to be like Jesus. I don't know where that came from. I, I'm delirious. My dissertation's due tonight by 12.01. So just let you know, I can't be responsible for anything I say. Well, I guess I can, but I'm just asking you to be gracious. Um, so here what we see is we see this in the person of Jesus Christ because Jesus willfully submits to the Father. We see that consistently. And so in the same way that he submits, we are too called to submit. And so what we find as well is in the... Um, we find in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, a wonderful example of this. Paul writes, he says, Who though he, speaking of Jesus, was in the form of God. Do you know what that means? In the form of God means he was God. One God, three persons. Second person, 
of the Trinity, right? And so he says here, he says that he was in the form of God. And notice this, he says, but he did not count equality with God. In other words, he relinquished his rights. He was fully and completely God, had all the rights of God, but he willfully relinquished his rights to the Father. And he says, in a thing not to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on a form of a servant. The the Bible doesn't say that God made him submit. He willfully submitted by relinquishing his rights to the Father and allowing the Father to lead his life. That's what the Bible ultimately means by submission. And so when Paul calls the wives to submit, he's not suggesting in any way that she is an inferior or she is unworthy or, or in any way that she's unequal in worth or in value in any way, just as Christ is not unequal with the Father. What we're talking about is distinct roles here. That's what we're trying to get across. So the call is for her to willingly relinquish her rights. Now, what does that mean? It means, now ladies, listen very carefully. What it means is that you refuse to fight to get your way. You refuse to fight to get what you want. You stop pursuing your primary needs over everything else. That's tough. But let me give you a fuller definition. For a wife to submit, it means that she relinquishes her rights, and here's the hard part, and entrusts herself to her husband's leadership while using her gifts and energies to help her husband to be leader, the leader that he has been called to be. I want to read that one more time and just, just take it in, because I know how I ask. Somebody reads something, you're like, what? Okay, let me read it to you again. Ladies especially, listen. Men, you listen as well. She relinquishes her rights. In other words, she says, it's no longer just about me, about what I want, about my plans, about about my needs, about my wants. It's not about that. But instead, I'm going to entrust myself to my husband's leadership. And I'm going to use the gifts and energies and abilities that God has given me to help my husband to be the leader that God has ultimately called him to be. That's a picture of biblical submission for a wife. Now, I want to let you know that just by saying that, I don't even have to go any further. And I want you to understand that I recognize that right now, some of you ladies in your flesh, that makes you sick to your stomach. The idea of that is so against everything you've been raised to believe and everything that you've accepted and everything that your flesh wants to do that you hate that, you loathe that. In fact, right now, you're hearing my my, my voice, but there is no warmth in your heart being stirred at all. Instead, you are hardened and you look at this and say, impossible. Let me tell you why. The reason is because you are facing three barriers that you have to be able to overcome in order for you to truly be able to submit in this way. The first barrier is this. First of all, there's a cultural barrier. There's a cultural barrier. The idea of a woman submitting is repugnant in our culture. Women are encouraged to be strong and independent. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. Don't you rely on anybody, especially men, right? You need to be your own. And this is what we hear. This is what the world teaches us as, we're, as your little girl's growing up, even your parents, be, don't you let no boy, you know, you know, that kind of thing. And there's a sense of truth to that, right? I mean, because we want to kill all boys that are interested in our girls, right? So there's a, there's a, there's a part of that. And so, so we get that, but at the same exact time, we need to understand that there's a cultural barrier and a woman must reject, if you're going to overcome this, if you're going to be and take on the role that God has called for you, the woman must reject the teaching of the culture Avoid its pressure to conform and to seek to be transformed by the renewing of your mind by the word and teaching of God's word. See that? 
You're going to have to, the world is going to want to compress you and force you into the realm where you are going to be your own woman, right? But what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to submit, reject, and you're going to be rather to be transformed, not by the pressure of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind through the teaching of the word of God. You guys with me? And so that's what the Bible says is that there's a cultural barrier. Secondly, there's a sin barrier. There's a sin barrier. And when Eve sinned, the role of a wife was corrupted and marred by sin. In other words, let's go back to Genesis as we keep going back where marriage was all set up there. When Eve sinned, when Eve uh, submitted and fell to the temptation, and then she ate of the fruit, and then she went to her husband, and she said, here, this is great, taste this. She was not, she was not being restrained by the role in which God had given her. Instead, she went outside the bounds of her role. Her role was to follow the leadership of her husband. Instead, what did she do? She took the leadership inside. And because of it, she fell. And what did she do? She led her husband in the wrong direction and caused him to fall as well. And so what we find by this is because, because the role of marriage has been, uh, was marred, it is always marred, at least for us in the flesh. And so we, we read this in, in Genesis chapter 13, 3, verse 16, when, G, when God begins to tell them of the curse, of how now things are going to change now that they're under the curse, he explains how this role, at least in our sinfulness, has changed for women. And what he says is this. He says that, that her, speaking of the wife, her desire would be for her husband. Now, guys, don't get all fired up about that. Remember, this is a curse, not a blessing. This does not mean that she is going to desire you, okay? All right, that's not what the scripture means at all. Instead, what the scripture means is that she is going to want to master her husband. And so what we have is this, is we have two things that we see clearly and theologically in the word of God, that because of that sin, it results in two extremes for wives. Number one, she tries to master her husband by leading. There in her flesh, there is a massive, crazy compulsion for her to take the lead, to take the lead. But here's a second, the second extreme that I believe that women struggle with. And that is that she becomes so passive toward her husband that she doesn't provide any help at all. Now, I find this, especially in the church. I find this oftentimes with wives in the church where they sit there and their husband is literally leading their family off a cliff. And literally getting into all kinds of destructive things with their family. And I sit there and she goes, you need to help me. You need to say something to my house. My, my, my husband, he is, he's bankrupting our house. And I'm like, well, have you said anything to him? No. Why? Because I'm submitting to him. I'm like, you've got a false understanding of what submission is here. You are not supposed to be leading, but you are supposed to be helping. And if you see your wife about to drive off a cliff, you're not supposed to sit there and go, I can't say anything because I'm supposed to submit. You're supposed to go, we're about to fall off a cliff. Got it? We need help. We need help with that. And so what happens is usually because, because of the fall, what has happened is the role of a woman has been marred in sin. And so we find ourselves in two different, we find ourselves in two different extremes. What God wants to do, ladies, listen, in redeeming you, he also wants to redeem your role. He wants to get away from you from the extreme left to the extreme right. He wants to bring you back to what God had ultimately desired for you. And that is to what? Is to ultimately submit in that you relinquish your rights. You entrust yourself to your husband. And you use your gifts and your energies to help your husband to be the leader that he should be. That is the biblical understanding of what it means to submit. 
But you are always, listen, ladies, your flesh is always going to want to fight against that. That is what sin in the flesh does to us. But there's a third barrier. And I think this might be one of the biggest ones right here. And that is the husband barrier. And this is this. Some of you are saying, I would love to submit, but you don't know my husband. Right? I mean, there's literally some women here that are sitting there going... (laughs) All right, I would love to follow the leadership of my husband and his, and his spiritual leadership and everything else that he has for me, but you don't know my husband. And so what ladies and women will do is they will literally sit there and say, well, until he reaches this mark, I'm going to put conditions on this. I will submit when he begins to be the leader that he ultimately wants to be. And not only do they say that verbally, but sometimes they'll say that right, out, right clearly out. But what I want you to understand is, did you see in the text of Scripture, you find nowhere where he's putting conditions on this. He doesn't say, oh yeah, only if he becomes the man of God that you ultimately want him to be. Now, let me be very clear here. You know, you're smart enough, right, through the word of God that you know that if that husband's trying to lead you to do something that's directly uh, against the word of God, you know that you have to put a time out there, right? But yet, that does not change even if your husband is lost. The Bible says very clearly that we are, you are to willfully relinquish your rights and submit to that husband no matter where he is on the maturity plane, or no matter whether he's saved or whether he is lost. Ladies, do you understand what I'm saying? That's the call of God that he says there. And so what happens is when we put conditions and we say, I can't follow him because he's not leading correctly, what we're doing is we're not just putting conditions on our husband, we are putting conditions on our obedience to God. We are actually testing God. God, I will do this, but only when you do this in him. What does the Bible say? Thou shalt not test God. Thou shalt not tempt God. So we're obedient in that. Now let me give you a warning and encouragement, ladies, of this very quickly. First of all, the warning. Your purpose for submitting cannot primarily be to change your husband. See, what some of you have done already, some of you are sitting there going, oh man, I'm so glad that you gave this to me. I needed this. I've tried absolutely everything to change this man. Now I have a tried and true way to be able to ultimately change him. Thank you so much. If you take this and you believe that I, your pastor, am saying to you this morning that what you have to do is the way to ultimately change your, your, your husband is for you just to submit, and then all of a sudden he's going to change. You are sorely mistaken. Because what will ultimately happen is this, is when you begin to submit, you will do it out of the wrong spirit, and you will do it out of the wrong spirit. And then when he does not live up to your expectations and changes when and how you want him to change, you will abandon your place of submission. Why? Because it doesn't work. But what I'm calling you for, you say, what is the primary call? What is the primary purpose? Why am I doing this? What is the primary motivation? Your primary motivation to submit to your husband is because you're submitting to, the, to Jesus. See, that's the ultimate picture. It goes back to that picture. What are you supposed to be picturing, ladies? You are supposed to picture God's covenant relationship between Christ and the church and church through Christ. And what does the church always call to do? To submit to the direction of Jesus. You know what the difficulty for us is, though? Your husband ain't Jesus. So that's why you have to first and foremost submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because then, even if things don't happen the way you want, even if he doesn't change the way you want, listen to this, even if he never changes, you've done what you've called to do and you've fulfilled in obedience the purpose of marriage. Do you get that? And so what we see here is that's the word of warning. Let me give you a word of encouragement. The word of encouragement is this, is though your primary purpose should not be to change your husband, God often uses your submission to change him. 
Remember, that's what we're talking about. See, see, that's what people have missed. You have all heard sermons in this, but what we have failed to understand is that this is God's divine design to bring about change within each other, within the marriage covenant, for us to become more like Christ. See, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, listen to what Peter says. He says, likewise, wives, be subject. Do you see that word subject? Subject there is the same thing as to submit to him, to relinquish your rights, same thing to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word. Now, what he's talking about is a lost husband here, not a a saved husband. He says, "They uh, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When you see, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Did you, did you understand that? They said, listen, the way you can win, a possible way of winning a lost husband is for you to submit, take on God's role, redeem God's role, for you to truly submit as God has called you to do. And instead of bashing him over the head, instead of nagging him, instead of every second of every day saying, hey, turn or burn. All right, that's not good. He says to turn that, and he says, and what you do is by you living underneath the submission of God, which he knows is physically, literally, humanistically impossible to do, but rather is only possible through the power of God, he sees that, and God begins to use that to change his heart. See that? It uses to change his heart. So ladies, if you're sitting here this morning and you're saying to yourself, the only way I'm going to submit if, 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 if he changes, no, you're hurting yourself. Not only are you being disobedient, but you're not creating the environment that God had instituted for him to work in the heart, soften your husband's heart, to bring about change in him. Now, this is specifically about uh, uh, lost men, but you know, certainly it applies even all the more for those who have the abiding spirit inside of them, who are those who've been truly regenerated. If God can use this to bring a lost person to life, then he can bring a life person to obedience to God, can he not? And so this is the picture that we have, and I want that to be an encouragement to you. Now we're going to talk, turn to the men for just a second. And this is this. God, God, God's role for a husband is to lead, is to lead. Now let me share something with you. I know some of you ladies right now feel, man, we got the raw end of this stick. I mean, here they get to do what I want to do, right? And I have to submit. It's not what my flesh wants to do. Well, well let me say this just very quickly. Men, I want you to understand, when I called those women, and through that time, when I was calling her to submit, that within her flesh is the hardest thing that I could have asked her to do. Men, you need to understand that. Hardest thing. I, I couldn't have said anything else that would have been harder for her to truly, genuinely do in a Christ-like way. And here's the deal. If she's a believer, she wants to do it. That's what you need to understand. She desires to do it. Her spirit, who she truly is, that part that's been regenerated in her, her soul, wants to submit in that way, wants to relinquish her rights, wants to entrust you, wants to use her gifts to empower you, that kind of thing. But you know what? Her flesh goes kicking and screaming. She has to constantly deny her flesh. Her flesh is either to be way too passive or way too forceful with her husband. That's, that's ultimately where that is. And so you need to understand that. But, when, but, but, but ladies, you need to understand something. Just as you felt that kick in your gut and in your flesh when I said your role is to submit, I promise you, whether you believe it or not, that the men felt the exact same kick in the gut when we said that your role is to lead. Because you need to understand something, ladies. If we are transformed in the image and likeness of Christ, just as your desire is to submit inwardly, so our desire is to submit to our wives as well, or to to lead, to lead them. I don't know a man that hasn't been led of Jesus Christ, changed by Jesus Christ, that doesn't want to lead. 
that doesn't want to provide for his wife, protect his wife, do all those kind of things. But they struggle. Why do they struggle? Well, it takes us back to the fall once again. Do you remember in the fall, Eve messed everything up for all the men? Do you remember that? I'm kidding. All right. She goes, but why does she mess up? Well, really, it goes back on to the reflection of the man. What did the man do? Where was he when she was being tempted? Where was he when she needed something to eat? He was supposed to lead by being a protector and by being a provider, and he was supposed to lead, but he refused to be able to do so. And so because of that, in the fall, what we find is is that the role of man now is marred. It is marred with sin, and it's not what it should ultimately be. And that's why we have all these crazy ideas throughout the word of what a real man should be. And ultimately resulted in two things. First of all, man becomes passive. Instead of truly leading, ladies, as your heart wants your, your, your husband to, to, to lead, he becomes passive, and he's more than welcome to let you lead. You want to take the role, you go ahead and lead, honey. Go ahead and do it. We find that in the church all the time. You'll go to some churches, and we're not doing that here. You'll find some churches where the only people that are teaching, both men's classes and ladies' classes, are ladies. That's pathetic. Not because women aren't great teachers, but because men are pathetic. You got to put your big boy britches on and you have to lead. Are you with me? It's the same thing. We're talking about service around here and I believe I I love our men and and I believe they do a great job. But in some churches, I'm just telling you this right now. Sometimes you sit there and say, we need some volunteers to do this. And all the men are like, you got to do that. You got to do that. And what I want you to recognize, men, is that the sin in your flesh You need to expose that as sin in your flesh by not being the provider, by not being the leader, by not being the protector. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying, man? You need to recognize that not as, well, you know, I'm just a man and I drink sweet tea and shake it when I want my wife to fill it up and watch car racing all day. No, you're sinful. That's what it is. Well, it's cultural. No, it's, it's more than that. It's at the very level of your DNA in your flesh. And so what two things we do is either one, they become incredibly passive. You're, you're like a sissy. You're a sissy man. Yeah, my wife's really one that reads the Bible. Sissy, read the Bible. You understand what I'm saying? And so here we go. First one, man becomes passive. Secondly, man becomes domineering. See, those are the two extremes. See, on the other side, and some of you are like, well, my, my husband's not, my, not passive, but he's awfully domineering. So what we have is we have all these kooky people picking up the Bible, telling their wives to submit, be silent woman in the house of God, and they take all these scriptures out of context. And what they do is you will say this, do this, I'm the man, hear me roar. And you are completely misunderstood of what it means to lead. Leading is servant of servant leadership. Now let me, see, let me give you a picture of what this leadership looks like. Look at verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives as what? As Christ loved the church. And notice this, and gave himself up for her. Now we see two things. He says, husbands, love your wives. How do you lead your wives? You love them. Well, I love them. Well, that's nice. But how do we love them? Do we live them? Do we love them merely by words? Do we just sit there all day saying, honey, I love you. I love you. I love you. Now follow me. I love you. No, the Bible says very specifically that's not what Christ did. The Bible says here he demonstrated his love. How? By giving himself up, by dying. Men, do you know how you demonstrate your love? Do you know how to you lead your love and lo- lead your wives in loving her? You die. You die. You die to yourself. 
He leads by dying to self. He dies in what he wants. He, desire, he, he dies to his desires. He, die, he kills his preferences and his ways. Then he picks up the wants, desires, preferences of his wife, and he champions them, making sure that she never regrets the day that she trusted him. That's how you lead. You deny yourself. You pick up the rights of your wife, and you champion. And you champion them in such a way that she doesn't turn to you and go, I hate the day that I entrusted you. I gave it to you, and you didn't look after what you said that you would look after. You didn't do. You know, guys, that kills me. I want to let you know just how fallen your pastor is, and I think I don't even have to say that with you knowing it. I'll give you kind of an example. This last week, just a very simple thing. I'm going through this. I'm preaching this. I'm like, okay, die to self, die to self, die to self. Raise up. What does my wife need? What does my wife need? And my flesh doesn't want to go there. Are you all with me? I'm tired. I mean, I am about to be a doctor, okay? All right? I have got things to do, okay? And so when I get all this on, you know, at the same time, there's a house to be cleaned. There's, there's dishes to be washed. There's all these things. But on our, on our day off on Friday, we try to, and I'm trying to say this nice and loud, Fridays is the day that I try to really spend a lot of time with my family. So, um, so I'm just saying that because I love you very much, and I don't want my marriage to crumble and my, hate, my children to hate me. And so we go out to eat. That's the one day a week we kind of go out to eat with the family. And so uh, we, we said, where, where would you like to go? And so my wife sits there and she says, well, you know where I would like to go. You know, she's pregnant and everything, so there's certain things she likes. And I knew exactly where she was thinking, the sushi house. <laughs> now, folks, I liked the sushi house the first 10,000 times I went there. <laughs> but... I, and it's not bad, but I've just sat there going, the kids are in the best. Sushi house. I can hear them on the phone. Sushi house. Sushi house. And I, and, and I did not respond in the appropriate way. Here, here's Mike, flesh Mike. Ready? Well, y'all go ahead and eat there. I'm not eating there. Oh, shut up. You do the same thing. Three fingers pointing right at you, buddy. Okay. Well, there's the flesh. But immediately what happens, God reminds me, Mike, you're not here for you. You're here for her. Raise her needs. Fulfill her needs. Die to self. That's what leadership is. That's how you lead. Lead is not sometimes even you point picking out the place that you're going to eat. Sometimes you just sitting there saying, honey, what do you feel like eating? You just die to yourself. And you may hate sushi. You may hate it. But it's okay. Hey, you know what? I'll pick up a cheeseburger on the way back. It's no big deal. Let's fulfill. Do you guys see how that works? But, it's, but it, it, that, that applies in a million different ways. But it always happens the same way. It goes against my flesh. But who I truly am in Jesus Christ desires to be able to meet that need. And so what we find here, is we see a picture of dying. And, and, and what I want you to understand is it's, it's men. I see this quite often. Men will come to their wives and they will treat them like garbage for a long period of time. And I see this and it drives me crazy because then at the end of the day, this is what they try to pull. Honey, I feel really bad for what I did. I'm so sorry. I love you. They put the smolder on. I love you. And she sits there and says, thank you very much. That's nice. And then he gets upset that somehow his words of, I love you, didn't get her into a different mood. 
Are you with me? And so he sits there, and then what he does is he sits there, and he gets upset, and his feelings are, don't you love me? Don't you, aren't you moved by my words? And here's the thing. No, she's not moved by your words. She would be moved by your words if you weren't so full of yourself, if you weren't so self-centered. If you and I would sit there and say, I love you, but yet we showed her as Christ showed us that we died to self throughout the day and then at night said, honey, I love you. I guarantee she'd believe it. Did you notice in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, we know that God loves us. How? While we were yet sinners, Christ, what? Died for us. He says, we know that God loves us not because Jesus said, I love you a million times. He demonstrated his great love by dying. And men, we demonstrate that love by dying to our wants and desires and flesh and, 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 and all of those things. We die for the sake of our wife by picking up her needs and championing those particular things. Now notice what the Bible says. Um, thank you for sticking with me. I'm, I'm trying to finish up very quickly. In verse 29, he says this, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. You know what he's referring to in these verses? Go back in the theology with me. He's talking about the one flesh union. When a man and woman get married and they come, God performs a supernatural event that they become one. They become one flesh. You can't see it, but it's there. And so for them to be there, they need to stick together and never be ripped apart or be literally ripping and tearing their flesh apart. And so what he says here is this. He says, My men, love your wives as your own body. Why, why is it? He says, in other words, when you love your wife, you're loving yourself because you're one. But see, there's another teaching on that. Now get this, okay? What that means is, at the same time, if you don't do that, what does that mean? That means that you're harming your body. Now, if I were to see a man, you were to see a man, and he began to inflict all kinds of pain on himself. He began to take part in all kinds of destructive behavior, drinking, alcohol, drugs. He began to take a knife and begin to cut himself, beat himself up, throw him off of stairs, throw himself off of buildings and everything. We don't look at that man and go, wow, his body must be in bad shape or else he would never have treated his body that way. We would never say his body has the problem, would we? No, we would say, dude, there's something really wrong with that guy to treat himself that way. And what I'm trying to share with you today, guys, is a demonstration of how we treat our wives. When we do not treat them in the right way, when we push them down, when we shame them, when we judge them, when, when we abuse them with our words and things like that, what we are ultimately doing is we are not exposing that there's something wrong with her. We are exposing very clearly that there's something wrong with us. Is exposing our own sin, not her sin. And so the Bible sits there and he says, just as Christ and the church are one body spiritually, so you are one body with your wife, that one flesh union. Now, what I've tried to do is this. I've tried to suggest to you that God uses our, faith, our, our faithfulness to God's God-given roles to bring about change in our spouse. That's what I've tried to show you. The way that God has chosen to change your spouse is by first, listen to me, changing you. God wants you to focus on you, to submit to him fully and completely in the role that he has. And then God, I believe, oftentimes is going to bless you, bless you by using that to change and transform your husband. 
How does that work? Because it creates a safe environment. It creates a safe environment. Instead of two people going after what they want, instead of pushing each other down to try to get what they want, guess what they do? They both begin to push each other up simultaneously. And so the question comes up like this, but is there ever a time that we confront each other with sin? Brother Mike, you're saying that these are the actions that we should take, but is there ever a time to approach my husband and tell him, hey, look, I need you to change these things? Or go to her wife and say, hey, listen, honey, I've seen some things in your life that just simply are not matching up or being right. Well, let's think. Put your thinking caps on just for a second, second, man. When we think about the Word of God, does not the Word of God call believers to confront believers about sin? Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 5, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, all of them are talking about how we approach each other, that we should approach each other about our sin, but we must always be careful that we're not guilty of the very sin in which we're confronting our spouse about. So, so we know that it's there, but how do we do it within the marriage relationship? And I'm going to close with this. I'm going to give you first to the wives, then to the husbands. Here we go. Wives, once you have truly submitted to your husband, and by doing so have created a safe environment for your husband, you go to him as the church goes to Christ, and you make your request to him. And if you have truly submitted, he will know that you are coming to help him and not to condemn him. Do you see that? If you truly are doing a wonderful job and a faithful job of submitting to the leadership of your husband, then he does not have to take offense when you come and talk with him. See, it's you, what you're doing is you're picturing the church to Christ, and we know that our husbands are not Christ, but it's just an example of the picture. But at the same time, what do we do? When we need something from our Savior, what do we do? We make a request. We come to them and we say, this is what we need. Wives, you should be allowed to go. No, he shouldn't understand everything about your mind. He should, he, he, should, he, should, he should seek to. But even Christ, who knows everything about our heart, says make your, make your request known to God, right? So you come to your husband and you can say, Honey, there's something that you do here that hurts me, that harms me. And if that environment has been created enough where you have submitted, he knows that you're not coming there to one-up on him. He knows the reason that you're there is for you to pick him up, to push him up, to encourage him to be the very leader that God wants him to be. Ladies, are you with me? No? Men, husbands, here you go. In the same way, you must die to self and champion the needs of your wife. Once you do and your wife is convinced of it, you may then confront sin in your spouse's life. And she will be accepting because she knows that you are looking after her best interest and not your own. See how that works? Guys, what you're trying to do is you're trying to convince your wife, not at an artificial way, but a true way, that, hey, listen, I am dying to myself. I'm truly securing her, protecting her, looking after her. And what I want to do is what Christ wants me to do. What Christ wants me to do is raise her up and to allow her to be the spotless bride of Christ. So what I want to do as a man is I want to, all this chaos that I cause in her life, all this stress that I cause in her life by being demanding and desiring and demanding that she change and for me being selfish in her life, it doesn't create a conducive environment for her to grow into the woman of God that she is to be. Why? Because instead of submitting to God and working through sin in her own life, she can't stop battling me. So my job there is to sit there and go, honey, I'm here to lead you, to protect you, to provide for you. 
And it says here, how do we provide for her? By nourishing and cherishing. Nourishing means they give her everything that she needs to be nourished inwardly, spiritually and emotionally, and to seek to meet everything, to cherish her. That means to meet her needs outwardly, physically. And so what you do is as you're doing this, man, this is what got the beautiful part. Instead of trying to change her, you sit there and go, God, change me. Start by changing me. God, not because I want them to change. Of course I do. I want them to be more like you. I want our marriage to be right. But God, first change me. Even if she never changes, I need to submit to you. But God, I want to create this environment for her to become all that you would have her to be so that just like Christ presents the, 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 that bride and uh, nourishes her with the water of the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or such thing. That's your and I's job. That's what we're trying to do. So this morning, in close, let me, let me just say this. We've gone through this marriage thing, and there's been many reasons why I've decided to do it, and there's a lot more that we can talk about, and there are a lot more questions. You have a million different questions. A lot of people asking questions about divorce, about all these kind of things. But one of the things I've asked is, what does the Bible say the purpose of marriage is? You cannot remind yourself enough of the point in the fact that your marriage, the primary purpose is to demonstrate, to hold up, to picture Christ's unbreakable relationship with the church. Every time you have a question, it leads us right back there. And unless we get that, God cannot work in our life and bring the healing and change in our lives that he ultimately desires for there to be. So today, question number one, are you saved? Are you saved? Are you truly been saved? Have you repented of your sin? Have you turned from your sin? Not for a second, but every minute of every day. I'm not saying are you perfect, but I am saying have you come to the point in your life right now where you sit there and say, I cannot be good enough to be accepted by God. I must repent and accept Jesus Christ. Jesus died in my place. He took the beating for my place. Because only when that becomes a reality... Can you do what we've been talking about for the last four weeks? It's the only way. And secondly, what I'm going to call you to do this morning is women, ladies, wives, I'm calling you to whether you do it in your seat or you do it at this altar or wherever it is, that you will sit there and say, God, change me. God, change me. Help me to relinquish my rights. Lay those things down. I trust you, therefore I'll trust my husband. And I will do all I can to be able to help him to be the leader that I can be. Amen? I'm asking you to sit there and say, I must lead. So therefore, from this time on, I'm going to die to myself. Right now, there's even things in your own life, and I know that right now there's things that you want right now that are causing tension in your problem. You die to it. You create that environment, a safe environment for your wife that she knows you're doing all that you can to try to pick up those rights, protect her, comfort her, take after her, love her, protect her, provide, do all of those things for her. So that one day, you can offer her up to God as a spotless bride. You've got to do business with God today. There's three things. Get saved and get right. Change me, God, as a wife. Change me, God, as a husband. Let's pray, Jesus. We thank you and we praise you for today. We thank you for the preaching of your word. 
God, I pray that folks will respond this morning. They'll respond. They will submit to your teaching. God, we love you. We praise you. Who am I as a man to say what is right and wrong according to the word of God? I submit myself to a holy God who has written instructions in the book of life. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?